Connors T, how are ye? Welcome to the Candlest Tales podcast, and this episode is the post-show chat about the death of Coo Cullen in the death series that we're doing at the moment. My name is Aaron Hegarty, and this post-show chat was actually recorded many, many moons ago, before the very first lockdown that we had here in Ireland. And, well, we thought it was going to be a bit morose to release straight away, so we decided to postpone it. And then the world kept on getting mental and more mad, and we decided to just release it anyway, amongst the death series that we're releasing at the moment. And, well, it's a bit daft, but we thought you might enjoy it, and we didn't edit it, because it's just a bit funny. (laughs) This podcast is proudly sponsored by Patreon, and the support we get on patreon.com forward slash candle tales. Thanks very much, guys, and enjoy the chats. <laughs> You're the worst. You're the worst. No You're the wor- I'm not putting this in. It's not going into the edit. It's not going into the edit. I'm deleting it. I'm going into the, into the post. We can cut. Oh, I'm the worst. The worst. <laughs> just poor, die poor, on, like, poor little remember Kukon. the crying people I know I know I know they all cried so much okay so did I I nearly cried <sighs> well <laughs> no, I'm sorry okay <laughs> you might want to say you have to say something I know I have to say something after <laughs> he died with a smile on his lips is the fucking line okay he died with yeah. a smile on his lips Morley had that going for him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this was a mistake. This was a mistake. This was a terrible mistake. mistake. I want to go see Junior Brother. Uh, listen, I know. I'm sorry. Uh, look. I just can't think of any. Do you know what? I'm going to get it all out now. I'm going to say all the things that are a terrible joke. Do you want me to break the ice and just start the conversation? Uh, sure, look it. <laughs> <laughs> no. The poor wee lad. <laughs> ah, God help him. Get it out of the I'm getting it out. I'm getting it out of my system so that I can be serious after I make all the jokes about Sure look it. God love him. Wasn't he a grand little wee fella altogether? Didn't he do his best? Wasn't he lovely? See, I'm done now. I got the giggles out. It worked. Good. Um... You can break the ice though because I don't know what to say. What do I say? Okay. I hope you enjoyed that story. As much as you can do a death story. It's a little bit morose, but uh, yeah, I guess the idea was to try and put it all together in one story. Uh, the life and death of Coo Cullen. Yeah. It's a it's a heavy story. It is a bit. I think it's a really interesting story, though, because um, like Coo Cullen was always one of my favourites. And I have had many discussions with people who don't like Coo Cullen very much. Yeah, you've mentioned this, and that's <laughs> kind of what I'm going to base this uh, post-show talk about. Because we actually performed this live recently, the last second last week in January in Stag's Head. And it's very interesting telling these stories, especially the, I guess, the very dramatic ones to a live group. And, you know, you get the laughter and the giggles and the fun stuff and the sexual references at the start of the show. And then you end up with the the heavy looking back over a life of a tragedy. The fact that he killed his best friend, he killed his own son. And all of his life was just this miserable thing. And it wasn't the heroic, uh, idealistic life that he thought he'd lived to. That's the thing that, like, I think that's the thing that 
a lot of the Ku Cullen detractors don't like about the Ku Cullen stories and how well they are, like relatively well known they are in Ireland. Hmm. Because in as much as Irish people know Irish mythology, most people have heard of the Children of Lear, they've heard of Fionn McCool, they've heard of Ku Cullen. And that's, that's, that's kind of about it for a lot of us. But, um, you know, he's he's one of the relatively better known figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on a on a very shallow knowledge of the story, it seems like a story about the glory of war. Sure. And my big thing with the Tawn was always, but hang on, at the end of this war, they're left with nothing. Absolutely. Like nobody wins. How is that a glorification of war? And like... In one way, you can't really say for sure how our ancestors who, who told these stories and listened to them were actually interpreting. And we know in 1916, the glorification of the archetype and the warrior was certainly used to inspire young men and boys to go into battle, essentially, and, and, and also die for Ireland. all of the women who were also fighting in 1916 sorry, sorry. kept forgotten about. Sorry, I, I mean... I know, but come on. Uh, not as many of them died, which is true. Um... But yeah, like, no, it was. And that was that was like it was a kind of propaganda story. And like, it's one of the really interesting features of the conflict in Northern Ireland that both sides have used the Ku Cullen figure as a as a kind of a propaganda piece. Yeah, because yeah, he represents, you know, solidarity. He represents well, he, fighting against on the, an opposition. On the one hand, he represents the defense of Ulster. Yeah. And it is it has always been the kind of rallying cry of like the Northern Ireland Protestant community yeah. that like Ulster will stand, and on the other hand, he's Irish. Yeah, so it was before and the and he, he was came, so. way before the well the most most Northern Irish Protestants are, are Scottish in origin. True. So he he was there predating. Well, this is all the British Isles. <laughs> Don't you call me British though? Well. Oh. Obviously, but uh, yeah, no, like he's an, inter- he's an interesting figure in that way. And like he, the legend of Gukulin has been used to inspire war. And I think that's why like we've always been interested in the other side of that story, because you can also read it as an absolute critique of war. Yeah, because this is a character who gives everything to war and the warrior code. And like he's within a culture that values victory at any cost. Yeah, that's the important thing. Sacrifice. But he Well, no, victory at any cost. Okay. So there's there's a there's a point um in the town where he shames himself in front of Fergus McRoy, he runs away. Hmm. And that's kind of an unheard of thing for a warrior to do. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's a difficult struggle for him to decide to do that, but he does it. And he's he's kind of the only person who can do that. And take the reputational hit. Because most people don't. Whereas then you also get, like, you get a character like Kuroi McDarrow who finds him sleeping at another point in the town and says, I'm not going to kill him because he's not on his feet and mm. it wouldn't be glorious. Mm. But, like, there's a, you know, only the very, very honourable will do that. Most people are quite comfortable. Like, there's a story of Keltkar McGuthergar. He's perfectly happy killing a guy who's drugged asleep. <laughs> Um, in a really macabre way, and that's and that's kind of fine. And even when Cucullin kills Kuroi Magdara, he's tied to a bed. It's not a fair fight. But there's a kind of the ethos there is about win. Doesn't matter how you win, just fucking win. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's the the problem with this. Like, okay, you're 
you're kind of valorizing the hero and you're talking about oh what a great character he is but actually when you look at it he's using kind of tricks he's using the gay vulga he's using a better weapon he's unfairly uh, yeah yeah because in that culture in our culture it back in those days that didn't matter hmm. didn't matter if you won by trickery because you know what if you won by trickery you were fucking you, you defeated someone by wit yeah okay which means you still fucking won didn't you yeah <laughs> like yeah, yeah. If you if I stab you in the back, it's because you were fool enough to turn your fucking back to me. So sure. that's on you. You know what I mean? Like there, there's a there's a whole like this is what I mean by interpreting it. Mm. Like we can only guess at how people were interpreting it then, yeah. and that's part of the stuff that we do is we we find our own way of reinterpreting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And to me, the Ku Cullen story has always always been a tragic story about an overachiever who tries to do everything that his culture expects of him to do in order to win their glory and win their approval and win their respect. And as inevitably happens when your kind of locus of self-esteem is external, he's he's brutalised for it. As you're talking there, you've reminded me of uh, when I heard you telling this story up in the Arthur's Bar in Dublin. I had just come back from travelling it was January two years ago. I I think it was in Morocco. I came back anyway, and I was sitting kind of you know after a long day traveling, kind of like getting to a plane, getting to a taxi, getting you know just going through kind of like the two days of preparation that you kind of forget about the world, our emotions, and and just hearing the myth and going back into the Cullen story just drastically and rapidly brought me into feeling that I'd been very divorced from because I was there imagining this this boy this young character who was after basically the most tragic fuck in life constantly thinking if, I can't remember the phrase you put to, to it but the way he'd been constantly brought up thinking he'd be brilliant and then to look back and not think about it at all as a brilliant thing that he'd done. Yeah. And then suddenly see it as a fucking mess. Like, Well, like, I also think, like, that's one of the reasons I connected to Cucullin yeah. when I first read Myths as a kid. Because I was one of those kids that was given the fucking designation of Bright, which is a terrible thing to do to a kid. Right. <laughs> because, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Destined you, to fail then. Well, no. Um, not quite. It's, not live up the expectations. Yeah. The, well, there's there's a couple of there's a couple of issues with it. One of them is if you're told that you're bright, you you don't. Kids who are told that they are bright. I'm going to generalize this out for a little bit. Sure. Kids who are told that they are bright tend to have difficulty with with work ethic. Because if you're told, okay, you're you're good at English because you're clever. If you then run into a problem with something, you go, oh, that's because I'm bad at this. It becomes an inherent quality. You're either bright or you're not. Right? You're so excusing the lack of study. Well, no, <laughs> this is actually something that I discovered as an adult. And I was like, oh, that fucking makes sense of a lot of my behavior as a teenager. Right, yeah. Because this is a tendency with kids who are told in school that they're bright. That they then become very shy of trying things. Because if you're not good at it immediately, it means you're stupid. Right. And that becomes your kind of, you get this whole like lot of stuff that happens. And when you've got a car, when you've got a kid who's told that they're that they're great, exceptional, and exceptional, yeah. there's also a lot of expectation. Mm. So there's two problems. 
there be there there's there's a massive fear of failure and there's a massive lot of expectation and then there's also this like huge misunderstanding of the value of hard work yeah i think the opposite then is true for the 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 ones that are called dim or, or you know absolutely or you have to work hard and they become well, dogged and, and actually the best thing one of the best things you can do for a kid is to tell them that they need to work hard yeah yeah because then they realise they need to work hard yeah sure um, you need to try hard you need to focus that's that's actually a really good thing that's actually a very positive thing to say to a kid aren't you so amazing and brilliant and talented yeah. and clever whereas if you say as you say if you either say like oh you're great or or oh you're bad at this both of yeah, those are demotivating yeah, yeah, yeah. well they're both demotivating right because they both mean that it's not under your control whether you're good or bad at this. Whereas if you say to a kid you need to work hard, sure that's, that, that just means cool. I haven't worked hard enough. I, I need to try make, hard again. Take control over the situation. Yeah. And, and, and it's in your hands. Figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do it or not do it. And like that was the interesting thing to me about about the Cullen character because he's a character who's gifted, and he's a character who's told he's destined for great things, hmm. and you see him having the kinds of difficulties that gifted kids have in that he doesn't have any friends. Leg being the one. Yeah, Leg is the one. And Leg is kind of like, Leg is also a social inferior. Leg is his charioteer. Yeah. yeah. Which doesn't which means they're not really on a par. Um, Leg is the one who's allowed to insult him. Imagine if you only had one friend who was allowed to insult you. Fuck that. I every, basically <laughs> build my friendships around people who slag me. Exactly. Um, like, that's how I know we're friends. That's um, how that's how Irish people know they're friends is you take the piss out of each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um because you can't take you can't actually effectively take the piss out of somebody you're annoyed with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just end up getting too harsh and hurting sure, their feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very subtle tool of it's communication. A fine line, it's a very it's fine, a fine line. line. But it's also it's also Irish very um we're not. We're it's it's a very it's a very well calibrated test of actually how how good your relationship is. I wish they could see the claw hand that you're no. making when you're doing that. Because you you take it right to the edge, man. You take it right to the edge and then you pull it back just just a hair, just and that's how you know that you love each other. Um, but yeah, like the Kukulin thing, I think is really interesting, and he's he's also got this huge like imposter syndrome thing that I think you also get with a lot of like overachiever types. Because he never thinks he's good enough. Yeah, I love that story in the champions portion of the the wheel toss. Ah, it just so summarizes his yeah. like, view on life and how he's not good enough. Yeah, like um, everybody else throws it up and does a shit job and gets booed and walks away thinking they're great, and he yeah. throws it up and gets a great cheer and and walks away thinking, "Oh fuck, they were laughing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't do it. I didn't do it well enough, or I should have caught it, and not let the fucking and and the the, floor. the critique thing of like, oh, I mm. should like you know when you go back over and you're like, I should have done that better. Um. So like, I oh yeah, I mean, I always had a massive sympathy for Cucullin. Um, and like, I think that's why when people critique the Cucullin stories, I tend to take it a little personally. Well, it's it like it was interesting doing the live show in January and putting together like the the number of stories of the heroes of the the Ulster Cycle and Ku Collins because you kind of can't tell his death without at least harking back and looking at his life yeah and I mean of course you can tell, tell the death story from just just that point uh, in the story when, he, when he's in the hall of, of Pro Magnassa but you have to give some form of context, context and yeah. looking back 
and all you see is just tragedy. Yeah. Like there's not one happy story. And I, like the other thing that's really interesting about the death story of Cucullin, when you put it up against the other death stories. Oh, it's a non thing. It's such an anticlimax. Which again is, is where you, I saw you lean a couple of years ago into that, ah. Oh, tragedy of it of yeah. like he's going to do that great thing he's finally going to do it he's about to do it yes what the fuck is it oh crap he some dog food um, yeah yeah like, oh oh it's it's nothing I'm going to get killed on the road to the battle yeah by some guy who first kills my only friend and my best horse <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah like everything is taken away from him everything he has left literally and like you know, when you when you go back to the 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 as much as I love the character of Emer, the Emer Cucullin marriage is a later edition. Sure. And if you go back to the earlier versions of the Cucullin stories, she's not there. That's very interesting. You mentioned that earlier because we have a little weird thing with the time on this. Well, there's a there is a weird thing with the time on this because that's the kind of classic timeline of Cucullin yeah. is that he's he's three sevens. Sure. He takes up arms at the age of seven. He fights Ferdia at the forward at the age of 14. And, dies and he dies at the age of 21. Yeah. And that makes absolutely no sense if he had a child that he fought in Body Strand at whatever amount of years before that, unless he was fighting a 14-year-old. Um, yeah, or, I mean, he's no, possibly... Sorry, a seven-year-old. Well, no, he's potentially, if he fathers Conla... Before the tone, so he would have been 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Could have been as young as 11. Sure. Biologically, that's possible, although it's fucking icky to think about. Um, and then if he fought Conla when he was 20, Conla's like nine. And he himself took up arms and killed three grown men at the age of seven. Yeah. I mean, the the this is where I constantly kind of look at the, the Heracles myth in Greek mythology. I'm like, okay, he grew extremely quickly he grew into a, a giant of a man before he was really a boy and well, there is the a, god like blood thing going through there's him. there's definitely like that's that's kind of no that, it isn't it isn't implied in the Cullen story because somebody did tell me that there's a there's apparently a gene for gigantism in the <laughs> north of Ireland which I I like was kind of like oh right so there there could have been like every now and again a kid would be born and by the time they're seven, they're the size of a man. Right. And by the time they're 14, they're a fucking giant. And by the time they're 21, they're dying. Because that's what happens with giants. Because like that's, that's you know. That's, Big dogs it has, have a very short life. It too, has so. such a, yeah. such it's so difficult on the, on the system. But like, and like in that, you know, in a, in a pre-medical <laughs> culture, it wouldn't have been able to do fucking anything for people. But it's also the, the myths about Cucullin always describe him as being small and slight yeah that's what doesn't quite equate with that well yeah. I mean when you when you mention giant I'm like that sounds like Conan Kernick the big massive brute of a fella uh, and that the legend makes sense then Cucullin was always slight until he got angry and he, you know he, yeah he like he's out. he's not a he's not a like that's what I always think is interesting about you know you We've we've talked about this. I don't know if we've ever talked about this in the podcast before, but we've certainly had this conversation about like artistic interpretations of Cucullin. Yes, because they are almost always beefcakes. It's so funny, and like we've we've met artists who've designed beautiful images of Cucullin, and again, beefcake. Like, and and, and it's there's like, a brilliant no. comic book, Coo, and it's it's visually stunning, but at the same time, it's 
it's a big hulk of a fella. And I'm kind of like, but he was, he was a boy for the thorn. Yeah, like, and he's, he's also always described as being small, slight and beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's not called handsome. They have a word for handsome. Yeah. Fergus McRoy gets called handsome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? Cucullin yeah. gets called beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. Like he's, that's... He's effeminate, like he's... That's, he's almost effeminate. He's, he's, he's young and he's small and he's like, like, this is the whole, like, there's a whole comic book aesthetic that is very on, like, male power fantasy physiques. And, and there's a really interesting thing as well in Irish myth where you get certain characters who are very much feminine ideals of masculine beauty mm-hmm. rather than masculine ideals of masculine beauty. Yeah. That's and funny. like someone like Dermot is another example of that. Like again. he's he's another beautiful man. Gorgeous. Like and he's gorgeous and he's again he's not a big hulk of a fella. No. He's a he's a you know the swimmer's build. That's that's apparently the most popular physique with women. Like it's not the fucking bodybuilder. Yeah, is there big muscles enough lads, on swimmers? Your man Phelps like he's a big lad. I would mess with him. But you know the like the, what I'm talking about the yeah, yeah. the, the bodybuilder yeah 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 true, aesthetic true, 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 yeah, versus, yeah, versus the like the lean lean yeah, yeah, yeah. slender guy stream type uh, thing, yeah, yeah like there's a there's a whole kind of idea about that that I think is really interesting because it 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 tells you something about who's telling those stories hmm. and again you know we're we're constantly uh, talking about the culture that these stories are in and essentially Cucullin was the he was the outcome of of a culture of that of the time that he was in that the hero yeah. the archetype the battle the winner the come over the object with adversity and challenge it with aggression and come over with come over that do you uh, mean overcome overcome thank you God, <laughs> Jesus Christ aren't oh, I'm really tired <laughs> I had a lot of coffee earlier in the morning I know I gave you some of it um, um, but but he he's the product of a culture that represents. And, and that was kind of always my ultimate defense of Cucullin is like you can't have a go at Cucullin without like he's he's a product of a culture and he's a child. Yeah. Like you don't you don't get to a point where you can start looking at your culture and unpacking it and like unpacking your own shit until yeah. you're at least the rest of your fucking neocortex is finished growing in exactly, which it yeah, hasn't yeah. by the time you're 21. Absolutely not. Like our father gave a very interesting talk done in uh, school in December in a secondary school as a psychotherapist and he was talking about um, that exact thing of of, of um, teenage boys especially being designed for adrenaline rushes uh, desire they're lusting after things they're not thinking about a consequence there is well, no, no they don't like teenagers boys and girls yeah. don't have the bit of their brain that understands actions and consequences grown in yet yeah yeah and so it's so evident with Kukulin because he's just like yeah yeah let's go do the thing I'm well, that, fighting yeah. whatever fuck it it's and fine and like that's the that's the th- that's the three faults it's the realisation that he has at the very very end you're like oh right war who ha what is a good I can't believe you made that joke you always yell at me for making that joke <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yes I mean that's that's those are the flaws of Kukulin too young too daring too beautiful I mean look I hope you enjoyed uh, this podcast it was brought to you by uh, myself and my sister and Shafas and Oshin. yes and also 
our Patreon patrons. Because they're great and they yeah. give us money. Uh, and they also just give us their support. And we also, we have gotten a little bit better uh, at giving them some stuff back. So if you Sent go and... some tote bags to you recently, those who joined in we did. November. We also have the... Uh, <laughs> After I lost all of the merchandise in my attic. <laughs> Found I, it again though. Found I wasn't going to give you any shit about that, but you did it all on your own. I mean, um, I deserve shit for that. <laughs> you do. I've given you plenty of shit for that and not on the podcast. We also have uploaded all of the outtakes from our five-part tone special. So all of the conversation in between those recordings, all of the bits where we talk about what we're doing next. I don't think anyone wants to listen to Oh, that. listen, it's quite entertaining. You can listen to it if you want to. Uh, but, you know, it's it's kind of a little behind-the-scenes look at the process of actually recording stories. True. And uh, we'll also have more of the Just the Story podcast going up on there. Absolutely. And some other bonus content. So if you're interested in getting a little bit more of that, go to patreon.com and give us literally whatever you can because there's no tears. There's no tears, which is kind of like, if you want to support and get some free content, nice one. Uh, We're all about, if you have it, give it. If you don't, feck it, you're grand. And if you don't, thank you for listening. Yes. As Aaron discovered earlier, there's no crack telling a story. It is shiny. In an empty room. Oh, the shafts was, it gave me nothing. (laughs) Literally gave me fuck all feedback. I might, I, I might as well have been talking to a wall. He was. He was talking to the interior wall of the shop. It's not really a wall, though, is it? It's barely a bit. The shed. Sheds have walls. Ah, uh, no, they don't. They're 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 kind of containers of a of a shed. Um. Anyway, uh, she's winding me up. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna jump. I'm not gonna bite for it. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Is there anything else we need to say? Probably not. I Listen. think we've uh, covered it. Next next uh, podcast will be Trefungled Treoker, uh, I, I believe. Uh, something like that. Something like that. And uh, if you were at the Sugar Club recently and you enjoyed all of the women who supported and performed as well as the lads uh, for Women and Warriors, well, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for coming. Thanks for the support. As always, keep her, well, keep her lit, keep her candle lit. You.